It was Earth Month in April, and we spent the month practicing the five R's. Connor, can you name them? So I thought it was three R's, reduce, replace, and refine in animal testing, but I guess this is something else. Well, for experts in sustainability, there are five, and they are refuse, reduce, reuse, repurpose, and recycle. Okay, so all these R's are really about what we do with our unwanted stuff. So we're talking about waste. Yes, but not only me. Listen to this guy. An amazing canvas for innovation because no one's looking at it. It's incredibly purposeful and everything becomes waste. So we get the pleasure and the privilege of working with every, you know, on everything from syringe filters to chewing gum recycling to you name it. People like ignoring garbage. You know, it's like out of sight, out of mind, or, ew, that's gross. But here's a guy who says, I want to think about garbage. Okay, so garbage. I guess that's what matters on today's episode of Discovery Matters. Everything we possess will one day be property of a waste management company. This is Tom Zaki. He is the CEO of TerraCycle, and they think a lot about garbage. With no exception. In fact, 99% of the things we buy become property of a garbage company within the year of purchase. Okay, so that's an angle I hadn't thought of. So the majority of what we actually buy becomes garbage the same year as we buy it? I know it blew my mind when Tom told me that. Um, and I, immediately I started thinking about every mob movie anywhere, right? Because what do they do? They get into waste management. I'm in the waste management business. Everybody immediately assumes you're mobbed up. It's a stereotype. It's offensive. Uh, you try to leave and they pull me back in. You're the last person I would expect to perpetuate it. All right. That, Good. That, there Good. is no mafia. Nice Tony Soprano imitation you did there, Connor. Yeah, I will. But let's go back to Tom. Let's talk about Tom. He has a really interesting backstory. You know, so for me, my my story uh, started in Budapest. I was born in Hungary in 82. And that's only really relevant because it was still communist at the time uh, behind the Iron Curtain. And in 86, Chernobyl happened, uh, you know, nuclear meltdown. And uh, the borders collapsed for a day or two. My parents effectively escaped. They're both physicians. And uh, as four years old, I'm in the car. You know, we're, we're leaving the country effectively as political refugees, landing in Germany, then Holland, and then finally in Canada uh, when I was seven. And my parents still live up in, in Toronto. And then I came down to college in New Jersey, which is how I ended up here where I'm speaking to you from today. Today, he lives in New Jersey. No, you're kidding. <laughs> Just like Tony Soprano. <laughs> stop it. Stop it. Tom is telling his story because essentially he moved from communism to the heartland of capitalism. I fell in love with entrepreneurship at, you know, in, in high school, probably honestly for the, you know, for the selfish reasons of fame and fortune. Um, and he got into Princeton. But I had this huge turning point, you know, I remember this so clearly and uh, the first class in Princeton that I took was Economics 101 and the professor gets up on stage and asks, what's the purpose of business? She was looking for, and the textbook answer is, maximize profit to one stakeholder, shareholders, and that's it. Now, that took a bit of wind out of my sails because like a business interacts with so many stakeholders. So how can that be the point? So for him, profit was not the point of a business. At the same time, he was starting his journey into waste management. 
But I, you know, wanted to really create an organization that made a difference for society uh, and or the planet. And to me, you know, I was thinking about this, sort of searching for an idea. And uh, garbage became the topic because it is such a fascinating, undiscovered realm. And as a freshman at Princeton, he realized that worm poop could be used as fertilizer. Okay, worm poo. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. I know. Mm. And he knew, so Tom knew that this could earn him some money. So he maxed out his credit card, got some investors, and started selling this fertilizer out of his car at a local gardening center. I mean, as you do, right? He dropped out of college, formed this company that turns garbage into new incredible things. And that is what has become TerraCycle. I mean, Tony would have freaked out if Meadow had quit college <laughs> to go into... I think Tony Soprano would admire Tom Zaki. Well, she... Meadow, I get... Yeah, okay. Eventually we get into waste <laughs> management. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Anyway, so Tom and his colleagues found that one of the problems with scaling up recycling is that it is expensive. Take an example, City. The city of Philadelphia used to make about $67 a ton on its recyclables back in uh, 2012. Today, they have to pay $105 a ton to see the same material recycled. And this is just your aluminum cans, you know, and your PET bottles. But what is the city of Philadelphia, like most cities around the world, going to do? They're going to either stop it and some, you know, so they're going to geographically constrain it, which means some citizens may not access it anymore, and 100% constrain what goes in the bin. And you may not know, it may just be that they sort out less on the other side, because there's a big difference between what you put in your recycling bin and what is actually recycled. So basically, he's making it profitable to recycle. Exactly. He says most people think that the reason we don't recycle is technology and that we don't we just don't know how to recycle all materials. But the question is really about can a garbage company make money? What about 90 percent of the goods, you know, from your dirty diaper to a piece of chewing gum to a syringe filter that today cannot be recycled? It's the vast majority. And why it can't be recycled is simply because it costs too much uh, to collect and process relative to the resulting material value that you can get at the end uh, from, in, in the case of a syringe filter, the polymers that it's made from. So what we do is we partner with conscientious stakeholders, could be manufacturers, could be retailers, could be governments, facilities, you, you name it, who are willing to fund the cost of whatever it actually costs to collect that material and process it, minus whatever we can then sell, of course, you know, the resulting materials for. And through that funding, we solve the most important uh, gap, the economic gap. Most of the time, they come up with really cool solutions, like a coffee table made out of cigarette waste or a watering can made out of crisp packets. I mean, I think, Connor, you've probably seen on Board Panda or on Lifehacker some of these these websites where you see a cool meme about stuff made out of garbage. Yes, exactly. How to reuse or upcycle and so on. Yeah. Exactly. But now we're going to take a commercial break for just a moment. Okay. We don't usually talk about our company, Cytiva, in Ooh, this podcast. Are we going to shill? Let's shill for a moment. We're going to shill. Let's okay. do it. So Cytiva has started working with TerraCycle on recycling materials that are usually really difficult to recycle. So syringe filters, for example. So those are the little filters that go on the end of the syringe between the syringe and the needle to make sure that like nothing gets in. Um, and so on, right? Exactly. And these are single use. You use it, you throw it away. It's better to use it once and throw it away rather than reuse because of the implications on patients. But we at Cytiva don't just accept that we should throw it away and stop thinking about it once it hits the bin. 
And so this idea of recycling something that is in the biopharmaceutical industry is a new idea for TerraCycle. But they love it because they're all about give us a tough problem to solve. I'm not just excited for where you know, our journey will go together, but how it will inspire this entire sector. Because in, in medical products, the amount of, uh, of waste is, is very, very high as you look at all the different sectors around the world. So I think there's something really dynamic we can achieve together, uh, uh, specifically you know, in the work we're doing, but also send messages you know, to the broader community of uh, folks uh, in the space. So what happens with these syringe filters? Instead of throwing them in the bin now, where do they go? Well, we've produced special zero-waste boxes, and we ask our customers to collect syringe filters in those boxes. From there, it comes into uh, one of our uh, TerraCycle warehouses, uh, and then we stage it. And then from there, our scientists reviewed these products uh, uh, and have developed recycling solutions where we can shred them, isolate the different plastics uh, and polymers uh, that exist, and then from there, make it into new plastic products. So it could be everything from a plastic bench all the way to shipping pallets and other extrusion and injection molded uh, polymers. So that that creates, you know, the the engine, if you will. Now rendering syringe filters together uh, recyclable. And then the question is, how do we make this as big as possible? So it's not just offering an option, but getting the majority of all syringe filters that are out there. You know, could we do even higher applications uh, to the material? Ideally, one day even getting it back into your own supply chain. So for TerraCycle, there must be a bunch of challenges in the biopharmaceutical industry. Because of just the need of precision and safety, there's a lot of single use. Now, some single use products, yes, do interact with biological materials or other dangerous materials. And by law, those have to go to incineration. But if you actually zoom out and look at what goes through facilities, the vast majority does not fall into that category. Tom wants us to change the way we think about manufacturing and recycling. So he says recycling is a solution to the symptom of waste, not the root cause. A hundred years ago, an average Western uh, female shopper would have bought two, this is 1920, two apparel items a year, and they would have lasted 20 years. They would have been mended, altered, you know, and 20 years you know, later, they would have become a rag. Today... All right, Connor, how many items of clothing do you think an average woman in the Western world buys within one year? I'm sure it's more than they need. I'm not going to go any further than that. You better not, you know, with your with your daughter and your wife probably close by in the mm-hmm. room. Let's let Tom answer 66 it. 66 per year. It, was, it went from two a year to 66 right. per year. That's 33x increase. But then here's the crazy part. How many average wearings before disposal? And I'm not going to answer that question either because I think it's probably not. I I just don't want to dig that hole for myself. <laughs> okay. Well done. Well done. I'll give you the answer. It is three. On average, in the Western world, we wear an article of clothing three times before tossing it. It all boils down to our act of purchase. When we purchased something. It's a vote for more strain on our planet, more mining, more farming, you name it. So that is why it's so important to think about what we produce and how we can avoid making it become waste. So much of that stuff goes to landfills. It's just piles and piles of garbage. Speaking of landfills, did you know that last year in 2019, Cytiva helped divert 
three tons of material from landfills by taking old instruments back from customers or buying back old instruments from customers and remanufacturing them. Okay, Three so that, tons. That's amazing. It's good. I can't imagine it's enough yet. It's not enough yet. So this is another Cytiva story coming your way. And the link here is sustainability, right? We've gone from reducing waste and now we're again reducing waste, but in a different way with instruments. Cytiva has leading edge chromatography systems, and these are essential instruments for advanced research tasks. At the same time, a lot of startups, universities, and institutes can't afford buying these instruments brand new. So we have a refurbishing and remanufacturing program. It started one decade ago, and we've recently de de delivered the 1,000th remanufactured instrument. So it's growing up. So that's fabulous. So can we go back to the person who first sold one of these? I've been in the company for 32 years now. This is Joël Cristofani. My art is in chromatography, so my, my I would like to be a chromatography specialist, but... No. <laughs> Ten years ago, Joël received a request from a customer in Grenoble, and that is the European Molecular Biology Laboratory. This customer would like to buy a biacor with a limited budget. In fact, the first idea was to go to a demo instrument. Joël went and talked to a Cytiva colleague who is in charge of the refurbishing business program. And he suggested a new way of getting a less costly Biacore instrument to the customer instead of selling a demo instrument. He told me that it was a system coming from customer IB, but this system go back to Sweden. They check every uh, essential pieces. It is like qualification of the system. They review all internal essential parts as they change it. This refurbished Biacore was just as good as a new system. So I go back to my customer, I explain the same thing to my customer, and it was um, better than a demo one because there is a guarantee and uh, this is a, a secure system. So the price was interesting. So we worked together on this solution and at the end we sold the Biacore 3000. And a lot of customers ask for refurbished instruments nowadays. And that's why I continue to work in this way, because if I have a request from a customer, if I could propose a refresh system, I do it. So that was 10 years ago. How's it going today? Today, Cytiva has a team of seven working on remanufacturing instruments in the far north of Sweden, in Umeå. And when we started, we refurbished 30 units. Last year, it was 120 we have just sold, like I said earlier, our 1,000th instrument. Okay, so we're making progress. More to do. Absolutely. And, you know, this is there's growing importance of sustainability in the industry. There's been this three-pillar approach focusing on the environment, on social issues, and governance. And a lot of times the pharmaceutical industry has been good in one area, but not all of them. And, it's, and look, the industry does a huge amount of life-saving good. But that doesn't mean it's exempt from focusing on social sustainability, environmental sustainability, and so on. So as an industry, we lag behind. We, we need to catch up because we are part of this global ecosystem. Perfectly right. And on those three pillars, environment, social, governance. And we've seen how customers are now combining their business objectives with sustainability goals. So refurbished instruments also increases access to 
what are actually really high-tech pieces of kit so students who may not otherwise be able to afford them can use them in their research. Exactly. So I reached out to one of our customers who buys refurbished instruments from us. So we have the vision to provide biotech solutions for all over the world. This is Christina Peixoto. Uh, I work uh, at IBET for a long time. Uh, IBET is a private non-profit research organization in Portugal. Indeed, it's the largest one. IBET in Portugal has played a role in research on the coronavirus and its vaccines, of course. When was the first lockdown? IBET was involved in the purification of uh, the spike protein to set up ELISA tests to, to detect the COVID antibodies. While they were doing this work, they were also wanting to keep their other projects running because of their contracts with partners. But like the rest of us in the world, there was lockdown during this pandemic. So they turned to some of their older equipment from Saitiva to help out with their workload. And uh, uh, thanks to these old equipments, we are able to purify these uh, proteins. Uh, and now we have an agreement with uh, one of our stakeholders they are trying to put on the market these tests for COVID uh, with success. And in the meantime, during all this last this year, uh, unfortunately, one year pass <laughs> flies. Some colleagues are also working on vaccines, virus-like particles for uh, SARS-CoV. So they use these instruments in the research labs working on a COVID vaccine before it goes into the clinical phase. That's right. Christina says the research lab is not just for researchers, but also for students. So we have this mission also of training new people, the new generation of the players in the manufacturing field and the biotechnology field. The refurbished equipment plays a huge part in their success of training students because it helps students use top-line equipment that they wouldn't normally be able to use. Without this program, we are not able to achieve the track record that we have today in this field. So it's really important that Saitiva at this program, mainly in countries that cannot afford so expensive equipment. To have these equipments available allows us to teach the students from the scratch, from all the details, all the theory behind the chromatography, and uh, allows us to training the students to publish scientific journals in peer review systems. So it was really important for us. More refurbished instruments means more science. That's right. And they complain, why we have to use this old and you have so nice equipment for other type of projects. But I think it's important for them to understand that they are still working properly. They have good data, reproducible data, even after 20 years working. So why not use? Because it's not so fancy. It doesn't make sense. So I guess that's the refuse in the five R's. Ah, that is the refuse. I think the sustainability, it's more and more important. Uh, of course, that on 20 years ago was a, a matter of the cost, but nowadays it's also uh, important for us. So sustainability touches everyone. We're trying to get to all parts of the supply chain involved, from manufacturing to customers and to the users. So Tom Zaki from TerraCycle has one last request for all of us. So please, you know, I think my biggest request is beyond the sort of obvious of, you know, uh, the excitement of getting this platform launched and working, teach us and push us on how we can make sure it is as valuable for 
every aspect of your business is absolutely possible because that's what we really want to hear so that we can really invest and develop that capability for you. Then to me, the sky is the limit on what else can we do? How broad and how robust can we make this? How can we not just celebrate that syringe filters are now recyclable, but recycled at scale? And I think that will be something that I'm personally incredibly grateful for because it'll manifest you know, in so many incremental ways that we can help the world become more sustainable. All right, Connor, do you remember the five R's? I do, and it's six. Six? Refuse, reduce, reuse, repurpose, refurbish, and rate us where you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening. Right on. Thank you. Our executive producer is Andrea Killen. Discovery Matters is produced in collaboration with Soundtelling. Production, Tanvir Mansour. Our theme song was written by Thomas Henley. Additional music is from Epidemic Sound.